Welcome to the Yogi MD Podcast. It's Nadine, yoga teacher, health coach, and retired doctor, here to bring you and your body together, not in sickness, but in health. Thanks for taking this time for yourself. Why are we telling this story? Are we telling it to serve ourselves or are we telling it to connect with people that we want to serve? How does listening with empathy and intention help us to tell better stories? How does telling better stories make us socially healthy human beings? My guest today, Bernadette Jiwa, prolific author and skilled storyteller, is here to answer these questions and more. According to Bernadette, you can't change a mind without winning a heart. Humans have known this instinctively for millennia. That's why we've relied on stories to help us. Stories are our most powerful and persuasive technology. In a noisy world, our best hope of creating the change we want to see is to tell a better story. I took my first drum lesson in my early 40s, eager to fulfill a dream of becoming a musician. I walked into the music store, jammed with an array of shiny instruments, gear, and colorful books, curated for devoted parents, hoping for the next Mozart. I worried that I was in the throes of a midlife crisis. But I knew this, working hard to achieve excellence was a skill set with which I was intimately familiar. It had always helped me to survive, so my drums became another hiding place, with perfection as my shield to avoid creativity. Years later, in my first lesson with my new drum teacher, Tim, he was stunned by my laminated rudiment sheets, flimsy manifestations of my shield of perfection. He challenged me to add creativity to my repertoire, to dance without rules, in order to find my musical voice. Yet I struggled to break my hardwired need for achievement by following rules. A few months later, I met you, Bernadette, in the Story Skills Workshop. And one evening, you casually asked me to compose a solo for commencement, having seen my drum kit in the background on our Zoom calls. <laughs> After you asked me, my stomach flipped in a combination of anxiety and excitement. But I noticed that this was my first chance to try something creative. But I didn't know where to start. My neatly composed stacks of books and laminated sheets mocked me. I mean, I was no songwriter. I was no expert. What were the right steps to write a good song? And did I have the audacity to dance with uncertainty? I surely didn't want to embarrass myself in front of hundreds of graduates. Would other seasoned musicians be there? Would they judge me? I took the plunge anyway. I sat at my kit. The silence in the room was deafening. I started to focus on my breath and the present moment, soothing myself with the knowledge that I need only be myself on my drum kit. I could hear Tim's reassuring voice 
asking me to let go of the notion of perfection and just play. I reminded myself of the advice I have always given in my yoga classes. Get comfortable with feeling uncomfortable. No strain, no gain. Do you. I began to see my kit with new eyes. Shiny blue, gold, silver, possibility. My drumsticks started to feel like light extensions of my body rather than unwieldy. And my precious little minute solo was born lovingly and patiently. On commencement day, on our Zoom call, I watched the Brady Bunch grid of faces expectantly, keeping an eye on the comments in the chat. And someone commented, from one drummer to another, thanks for doing that. That particular comment made me feel seen and heard. Now I'm starting to see myself as a musician, dancing with curiosity and uncertainty, and I want to take more chances. As a result, right now, I am proudly composing my own podcast theme music with the help of my daughter, Lizzie, and niece, Maya. And I can't forget Tim. Bernadette, thank you. You've helped me as a committed lifelong learner to become a better communicator through written, spoken, and musical storytelling. Nadine, thank you. That's just beautiful. I couldn't be more thrilled. Um, Everything that you've said there, everything you've talked about in your story speaks to this fear that's ingrained in us and how we have to get out of our own way in order to walk the path that's calling to us. I can't overstate enough how I've been transformed, learning more about myself and becoming more comfortable with being myself as a result of joining the Story Skills Workshop. I was able to communicate this thanks to you in such a profound way and communicate it to Tim in a profound way. And I wouldn't have been able to do that before. Yeah, and it's hats off to you for showing up to do the work and for being curious enough to and brave enough to take that first step. What did you say to Tim? Well, we were talking about these difficult times right now and how Mm -hmm. challenging they are and how easy it is to feel disconnected and how easy it is to feel like we're not really making the difference that we want to make. And so I told him this story. Mm. Yeah. And it's in those small moments that we can make a difference by showing up as ourselves. Absolutely. It does take courage this is how I feel. And I, it, it would have been heartbreaking to feel any form of rejection. Mm. And yet, and yet anything that's worth doing 
is an opportunity to be rejected because we are not going to appeal to everyone. When I heard your story, I was thinking about uh, my journey to writing and storytelling. I didn't start writing until I was in my 40s. And I think there's something about having time and space and entering different phases of your life and seeing them as an opportunity to try things. And I think that's what's happening in this moment in the pandemic. For a lot of people, they're questioning the paths they've been walking to now and thinking about how they want to show up differently in the future. Hmm. And maybe this good to come from this. I hope so. Well, for me, I'm discovering new ways to solidify meaningful connections. And that's really why I wanted to talk to you today to, to address how powerful stories can be to improve our communication, to strengthen our relationships, and maybe even bridge some understanding when it's difficult to have a conversation. Sure. Um, I, th- I think we lost, we've lost that gift in our individualistic culture. Um, I don't know what it was like when you were growing up, Nadine, but I grew up in a house with no books, but that didn't mean that there weren't any stories. I grew up in Dublin, which I proudly say is the storytelling capital of the world. Mm -hmm. And even though we didn't have a bookcase crammed full of uh, stories, there were stories around the kitchen table with the kettle always on, the teapot always on the table, and neighbors coming in and out of the house. We learn to listen to each other and to be present to each other's stories and to have empathy for people we didn't quite understand. And I think we're, we're relearning those skills right now in these times of I guess, hurt and transition and especially I think in the United States, I think the whole world is watching and witnessing how we might do things better. Hmm. One of the ways I think we might do things better would be by paying attention. There were times in my life when I'd be in a family gathering and we'd be hearing stories. There were some that were very impactful, stories that I wouldn't forget, that I learned from. And then there were times where I felt a disconnect, where it was almost like the person didn't really need to have me there. It was just Mm -hmm. reciting a series of events And I really couldn't see what I was supposed to get out of the interaction or if I didn't feel a connection. Does that make sense? Yeah, because stories are about change. Great storytellers know that their stories have to have a shape and a point. And they might not know that consciously, but the best storytellers are teaching us something about ourselves and and how we can live in the world so every great story has some element of change in it and it's not about uh 
just relaying the series of events as you said oh i i met so and so down at the shop today and this is what they said if there's no transformation in there if there's no opportunity for us to learn something if there's no challenge or complication in that story then it doesn't change us i just watched last night uh rewatched for probably uh, the 10th time my, one of my favorite movies which is Pride and Prejudice and what makes that such a great story is that we see the death or we witness the death of their love Mr Darcy and Elizabeth Bennet because we see the challenges they have to overcome to be together if if it had just been a case of, of poor girl meets rich man and they get together we wouldn't have the same attachment to that story but what we learn by hearing that story is the depth of true love that true love conquers can conquer anything it can help us to overcome anything whether that is pride or prejudice and while that's a fictional story it's it's based in what it was like to live in those times what women were up against in those times in finding partners who they wanted to be with so i think what you're alluding to is the power of great stories to help us to shape the future that we want to see and another thing that i've really noticed in addition to what you've said is and what i also heard in what you were saying is that emotions are necessary there needs to be an emotional connection sure and uh one of the questions that i've been asking lately of people on the back of thinking about love is what were the tell me about a moment when you met your partner where you just had this spark of recognition that they might be the one for you <sighs> and i don't and, and usually well maybe you're going to tell me about the moment but i want i want to say before we go any further that usually what comes out is not about the color of somebody's eyes or um how tall they were and how what they wore it's usually something seemingly insignificant that they did that reflected who they were in that moment so maybe you've got a story for me Nadine about when you met your partner we were in college and yeah. he was a year ahead of me mm -hmm. and we were going this was my first week on campus and i was very intimidated i i was very frightened it's whole new world i'm coming from this small high school and now i'm on this big college campus and i i'm terrified and we're going on this tour and he was one of the two people helping guide the tour and i just remember he made a really sarcastic biting comment i don't recall what it was and mm -hmm. i thought ugh yuck But a few months later I was reintroduced to him and we just started talking and we were in the one of the same classes together and we went on a trip to Starved Rock he made me laugh the whole day and it was with the same sarcastic commentary mm. but it was just different I felt like I was 
part of the joke, if that mm-hmm. made sense. So I got to know that that's just the way he, he joked around. Mm-hmm. And it might come off as funny sometimes, but we came back from that trip and I got off the bus and my mom was there to greet me. And she said she'll never forget how I was beaming and smiling. And I was saying that I just had so much fun with this guy on this trip. And he just made me laugh. Well, how fabulous is that to meet somebody <laughs> who can make you laugh throughout life? And, and isn't it interesting? I don't know what he looks like, but I have a real sense of who he is. I've got no clue what he looks like. <laughs> Not like me at all, <laughs> that I could say. <laughs> and, and that's the interesting thing, isn't it? You didn't marry somebody who you were perhaps thinking you might end up with. You didn't end up in, in a relationship with somebody who was of the same skin color, from the same culture necessarily, and, ne- and neither did I. And I, I feel like that's another bridge that story can build. I never thought about it that way. But what I noticed with him was that we shared similar values. Mm -hmm. One of the other things that he talked to me a lot about initially was family. And I could tell that he was really connected to his family and that was really important to him. And family is super important to me. So we immediately had this connection. Yeah. Based on on him being vulnerable enough to share with you part of his story that family was important to him. Absolutely. You know, that beautiful quote from Abraham Verghese, the author of Cutting for Stone, who's also a physician, he says, geography is destiny. And I like to think that we can rewrite the geography of our destiny through telling stories. I know it's helped, I know it's helped me throughout my life to rewrite the geography of, of my destiny. I was brought up Irish Catholic in a place where in the 80s when I met my partner, 99% of people were white Catholic. That was the expectation that you you would meet somebody of your own kind, in inverted commas. And I fell very hard for an Indian man and eventually convinced him to fall very hard for me. (laughs) And we ended up at this, on the doorstep of the parish priest's house. So in the church where I had grown up, in where I was baptized, where I sang in the school choir, speaking to a priest who I knew from childhood and, and asking him if he would perform our marriage ceremony in the church because my partner had said, it's really important to you to be married in the church. That's what we're going to do which was a huge step for him. He was raised as a Muslim. And I remember that moment standing on the welcome mat, asking the priest if he could perform our wedding ceremony. And I remember him looking my partner up and down and turning to me and asking me if I had any idea what I was doing. That my, He told me my children would be kidnapped and 
abducted and taken to Pakistan. Oh my goodness. And he asked me to reconsider my decision. And I knew in that moment, Nadine, that there was no future for us and our children in the country where I had been born because we would face that prejudice. And from that moment, we made plans to make a life in another country because we didn't want to wait for the next 20 years for progress to happen. We knew we had to rewrite the geography of our destiny, mm. which is what we did and have been doing for 30-something years. So it, it worked out pretty well. Hmm. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for sharing that. And my partner's never been to Pakistan. So what I'm talking about there is judgment from from somebody who really sh should have known better, as we all should know better than to just judge by the color of somebody's skin or their culture or religion or whatever, whatever it may be. If we don't know somebody's story, then we don't know that person and we have to give them a chance to share their story with us. The first part of that, or one of the first parts of that has to be a willingness to meet each mm. other and sit and listen. But how do we even start? Well, there are some skills that I think we have forgotten over time and in the digital world. And one of them is presence. And the other one is genuine curiosity mm. about the other person. That One of the things I love about Ireland is that people are still very, very curious about your story. You know, there's a greeting in Ireland that starts with, what's the story? My brother, who, who um, we lost when he was 20 years ago, when he was in his early 30s, would always come up to me and put his arm around me and, and never, he would never say hello. He'd say, what's the story? And I love that greeting because it's an invitation to open up, isn't it? Mm -hmm. As opposed to the very common, how are you? said in passing oh that just reminds me of what you what you just said there reminds me of something the righteous uh, david sadaris invites us to do he says if you want to be a good writer and a good storyteller you need to stop making small talk because if you just go into the grocery store and say how's your day and somebody gives you the stock answer back, you're never going to get to know anything about anybody. Mm. You're not going to be either interested in what they have to say or you're not going to be able to write anything interesting. So I guess being a great storyteller and, and a better human being is about being the most interested person in the room. Sometimes I see the challenge with that being context. And I've been noticing that mm -hmm. a lot when I read. I notice that people think there's a time and a place for specific things. For instance, relaxing and being present can only be done in a yoga class or in meditation because that's what I'm doing right now. Elsewhere where that skill might be applied, it's like, well, but that's not what we're doing right now. And I will say that to your point earlier, one of the gifts 
if you could call it that, of the pandemic. It is horrible. But yesterday, I sat down on the phone. Talk about another art that's lost. I actually Uh sat down (laughs) on the phone with another person without doing anything else and listened and talked to her. I wasn't so willing to do that before all this happened. Just being on the phone and not feeling like I have to go do something else or I have to put her on speakerphone and multitask. No, it was, I'm going to sit down and pay attention to this human being because this interaction is precious to me. You've really opened up something there, Nadine. It's this idea of multitasking. So we go to the grocery store with our headphones in and we think, this is an opportunity to listen to a podcast. We are on public transport and we're all plugged into our devices. So nobody's making eye contact with anybody else. My husband once joked to me that um, I needed to stop talking to people on public transport because <laughs> they would think I was crazy because the only people who speak aloud on public transport, unfortunately, are people who are uh, have a mental illness. And I thought, that. That is true and that is sad. Mm-hmm. Who who are the who are the people who are crazy here? It's us who are staring into what my son said my middle son says is we all sit there stroking our glass rectangles <laughs> and, and avoiding each other. And and what you talked about there about sitting down and just having a conversation, we've lost that because we're mobile. I remember in the old days, right? You and I are old enough to remember Mm -hmm. um, phones that you had to sit in one place. You had to sit on the stairs because the phone was connected to the wall to a cord where you could only walk, you know, in a meter square. So you just sat on the stairs for an hour and you had a conversation with somebody and you listened and you cared about what they were saying next. You weren't uh, on the sp- you didn't have them on speakerphone and you weren't cooking the dinner. I'm guilty of doing that. I'll I'll phone one of my kids and I'll say, oh, I'm just cooking dinner. I thought, you know, we'd have a chat while, while I'm cooking. And it's a different conversation because you're not wholly in it. That's an interesting point. And just while you were talking, I was thinking about that change because I do remember I had this very visceral reaction to the phone with the curly cord attached to the Mm -hmm. wall. But also along what went along with that is we couldn't take it for granted because Mm -mm. there was the one phone in the house. And if you had a big Mm -hmm. family, you had to compete for time on that phone. Yeah. I think there could be a way because I hate to sound like, and we all do this, right? Every generation is like, oh, in the old days, it was this way. And these kids nowadays don't X, Y, Z, right? Can't we advance with the, uh, the lesson? The core message from what you just said is sitting, being present, paying attention to the other person. The technology back at that time made that necessary. We can still have this new technology. I was on my cell phone when I talked to her today, my mm-hmm. friend, but I made a conscious decision to use what I felt and learned as a kid, even though I wasn't totally conscious of it at the time. 
You're talking about being intentional and anything we're talking about here in, in this conversation is not to to diss the advances that we we are all able to take advantage of. Mm -hmm. We can, you know, when I think about what you said about the phone and competing for resources, also it was really expensive to call people. Mm -hmm. And now my parents live in Dublin and I live in Australia. I can speak to them for two hours on Skype without it costing a lot of money. Where in the in the old days we wouldn't have had that connection, that opportunity to connect. So we are so lucky to have the resources at our disposal that we have these days. It's not about the technology, it's about how we choose to use the technology and what the technology can do for us as a community, as a family, as a nation. And you've said this to me before when we've talked in that the technology is a beautiful thing, mm. but we have to make sure that we're using the technology and the technology is not using us. It's true. And I think there's in the pandemic, what we've seen is the opportunity to use technology as a, as a way to find each other and to connect with each other you think about how we're connecting now over zoom how we in the story skills workshop bring people from all corners of the world together to witness each other and to support each other in telling better stories and finding the stories that we are called to tell how lucky are we to have this opportunity and to be alive in this moment in time to be able to do this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, to connect globally. I've made so many friends I would have never been able to make before this powerful technology. But it's in, it is done with intention. I, again, I, I'm very conscious of how I'm using it, why I'm using it, how it's advancing my life. And I, I make sure to take care of myself and not find a way to keep it balanced where I'm not in front of the laptop or the computer for hours and hours. And so that when I do connect with the people that I, uh, I talk to on Zoom or on, on whatever online platform, it's done in a meaningful way. I don't want it to become for too fatiguing. Mm. And also the other thing that I think you're alluding to there is not to make our connection all about the technology that how, how are we connecting in our community? What, one of the wonderful things that's happened to us in the, in the pandemic is our neighbor two doors down who's an incredible baker and cook has been making this bread and bringing it you know her husband will, will get this knock on the door at five o'clock just before dinner and this in, the best bread you've ever tasted in your life baked in my neighbor's <laughs> oven comes <laughs> to the door with the jar of marmalade and just this willingness to open ourselves up to each other i think has been truly lovely so how do we how can we use that going forward how can we not forget that going forward 
Well, I think one of the ways we can do it is remembering to tell each other stories like this, not forgetting. And I'm curious about, you know, the story I told you in the beginning. I really thought about that story for a long time. It was something that that germinated when you first asked me to do the solo, actually. And I didn't write it down with any agenda in mind. I just knew I needed to note this thing that was happening to me. I felt like I was changing and and it was important to really recall and put down in words. And then it started to develop and I I wanted to add more. And and the story just became richer and richer. After writing this, I thought to myself, this is a skill. I know this is something I have to practice. How, how How do I make this more natural? How do I capture special moments like this in a story on a more regular basis? You know, what we do in the Story Skills Workshop, Nadine, is talk to people about noticing your life and just being open to the stories that are coming up every day in your life. You recorded that story and you remember, and that story has become significant to you because you were paying attention to what was going on in your life. As you do in yoga, you pay attention to what's going on in your body and you pay attention to your breathing. You are paying attention to your life now and you're making, you're connecting the dots between what's going on right now Mm -hmm. and who you are and your own values. What I loved about your story was how it taught me something about you as a person and how you, how driven you were in your life and how you, what's helped you to get to be who you are today. And while you might say, well, those things are, some of those things are not serving me right now, they are still a huge part of who you are and Mm. they have served you to now. So we don't have to think about, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. We have to think about building on our story and and layering and, and thinking about what are those, what are those common values that made me who I am? What, what is the thing that was driving me to be that person who was rigid and studying and laminating the sheets and what did I care about and how does that serve me now? So all that goes to to say is that you're connecting dots and that's what stories also help us to do. They help us to connect the dots between our past and our present and hopefully to the future that we want to create and the future we want to build and see. Thank you. Something else I've been curious about as of late is paying attention to, it's almost like someone in in story skills said, (laughs) you can't unsee it anymore, right? The stories are all around you. And what I've been paying more attention to is advertising. What feels honest and when it feels I'm being manipulated. How do we avoid manipulating? That goes back to our intention, doesn't it? Why are we telling this story? 
are we telling it to serve ourselves or are we telling it to connect with people that we want to serve? That's mm. the easiest yardstick, I think. Are we telling stories that will help people to make decisions that they are happy that they made and that they won't later regret? Because for a lot of years, I help people to tell their company story or their marketing story. And we always start with what's the change you, your customer wants to make and what's the change? How are they changed in the presence of your product? Let's think about your drums, for example. How did you choose the drum kit? You probably went to a really reputable music store and they guided you through that process. They yes. didn't, they sent you away delighted with something that would serve you. And you, I'm guessing you didn't come away from that transaction feeling manipulated in any way, shape, or form. Absolutely. It was like I was in a candy store. <laughs> <laughs> but the good news is, in, to go back to your point about learning about yourself and connecting those dots, so the gift that the past me, the very disciplined, get-it-done girl did before she went to pick her drum kit mm -hmm. was to do some research mm -hmm. and not just walk exactly. into the store blindly because then it's so overwhelming. But mm -hmm. in order to to pick what would best suit me, I really sat down and thought about what I needed, what sound I needed, what price range I was willing to. And so I was a little bit more focused and I could have a smaller range of kits from which uh, to choose from. And, and what you're pointing to there, Nadine, is also something that's great about you, which which is you're saying that your discipline perhaps doesn't serve you in some ways, but in other ways it really serves you. And if you think about the lessons that you're passing on to your daughters at this point, there are times in your life when you need that discipline. You even need it if you want to become a good drummer because unless you practice, unless you make time to practice, unless you have that discipline, you're not going to get any better. So it's not a case of pure you know, creativity is just showing, uh, ab abandoning the rules. Creativity is showing up. That's an excellent point. And you're talking about balance. So it's the balance. I was off kilter with my approach mm. to my drums for a long time because I was just using it as another place for punishment and judgment. I'm not good mm. enough. I was giving myself grades. I sound terrible compared to X person. Why did I start so late? And one of the bad things about the internet is you can find easily <laughs> someone playing some very complicated lick. And no, you don't know the background to how long it took that person mm -hmm. to play that thing. You don't, you don't know if they were practicing the same one minute for months before they filmed it. But you're comparing yourself to the end point, someone's end and thinking, mm -hmm. feeling so inadequate. And so I kept, I kept chasing that inadequacy with mm -hmm. work hard, work hard, work hard, work hard. And I wasn't having fun. And I, the other mm -hmm. thing about that is 
feeling the energy of it. I wasn't coming away from the kit feeling more energized. It felt, and yes, it's hard work. So you should feel like you've, you've been working at the kit if, if you want to get better, but it, it left me feeling drained. Mm. Whereas nowadays where I'm using, yes, the discipline to sit down and practice, I still do need to practice my rudiments, but I also need to weave in play and creativity and room to put the sheets away and just mm-hmm. figure out what I'm trying to say with my unique voice as a drummer. That's brilliant. Because if there's no joy in the act of playing, then what's it for? What's the point? Exactly. And the energy around when I'm done with practice. Yes, I feel spent still if mm-hmm. I've done a very focused practice, but it's, it's that good fatigue. Like after you've done a great workout, there's, there's endorphin release too. And it, it, mm-hmm. there's a feeling of satisfaction and, and yeah, more satisfied. Yeah, that's wonderful. I'm so happy for you. Nadine, did you see those twins? That um, Did you see that video that's doing the rounds of the internet? Twins listening to Phil Collins' drum solo for the first time? I haven't watched it yet. I have heard of it, though. Talk about joy. I It, it just makes you smile because here you have two young men open to discovering something they've never discovered before. and something from the past coming to surprise them and delight them. And I think that's partly what you're talking about too, is making room for delight mm-hmm. in, your, in your own life. As we're nearing the end of our delightful conversation, <laughs> taking your word delight, do you have any other questions that you're very curious about for me? I'm curious to know the story about how you shifted from being a physician to thinking about wellness in all its forms. That is a super question. It's a very complicated, very layered question. And actually, I talked to Seth Godin earlier this Mm -hmm. week, and I opened with a story, actually, to tell him about how I connected with him. And he had, he might consider it, and he was so humble about it, like, yeah, it was all you, it wasn't me. But he, his work was there when I needed it. Mm. There wasn't just this one predetermined way for me to interact in this world. And just because it didn't work the -hmm. way I wanted it to didn't mean that there was not something more for me. One of the things that really bothered me when I was practicing medicine was the focus on the sickness model. Is it Mm -hmm. just, do you just go to the doctor and focus on I'm here because something's wrong? besides your normal annual or your screening where those things Mm -hmm. might be addressed. And I just kind of felt like it was always kind of in the back of my mind, like, do I want to keep focusing on sickness 
that was the seed that helped me find my place as a yoga teacher. It was just the thing I needed after I made the transition and decided that medicine was no longer for me. Mm. How could I use what I learned with a unique population that I saw as underserved mm-hmm. and focus more on wellness too? Is this something people don't think of necessarily? Wellness is not the absence of disease. You can still be a healthy mm-hmm. person with arthritis. You mm-hmm. can. I also really felt like we were doing ourselves an injustice, focusing just on physical health and barely mm. the mental, barely. Mm. So I thought, well, there's so much more out there. And I felt it because of what I experienced. I experienced this flat, unidimensional existence and I knew there had to be something more. I felt like there was so much more to me and in this life, which as a pathologist, looking mm. at bad outcomes a lot, mm. doing some autopsies, dealing with cancer patients, I thought, you know, nothing is guaranteed. I know people like to say that, but really <laughs> nothing is guaranteed. I saw it. And so I felt like, from that experience, to squander our lives every day, waking up and going, what diet should I be on today? Why don't I weigh X pounds? Why is a woman, does my face not look like this? This is not the narrative I wanted to follow. And I certainly didn't want to leave a legacy behind of, for my kids or in my work. I, I'm here to serve. I feel very passionate about that. So I really wanted to make a very lasting positive impact in people's lives to expand the notion of what being healthy is. That's beautiful, Nadine. Thank you for asking. I think a lot about these things, so thank you. When Seth was right, you know, it's one thing for somebody to open a door for you and it's quite another thing to have the courage to walk through that door and if you think about all the years you invested and all of the hard work and the resources it took to qualify as a physician to to take to take a step back and to say you know i'm not sure this is for me anymore and to change course takes huge amounts of courage in a world that is constantly telling us who we should be it's mm-hmm. very hard to show up as yourself and you're helping people to do that every day thank you because ultimately i had to reject that story that narrative, that uh, story I was telling myself and buying into as well, that this is the road I have to follow and this is what's expected of me. Mm -mm, It wasn't working. Um, Just by doing that, you're an example to your girls. Even if you say nothing more, the fact that you acted on that is showing them that they can choose the path that feels right for them. They can always change their mind. Yes. 
Bernadette, speaking of health, what is your personal definition of what it means to be healthy? It comes back to strength for me. It comes back to feeling strong enough to show up in the world in the way that I want to show up. So that's my definition of health. Am I feeling strong today? That's gorgeous. It's one thing to have a drum kit in, in your room. It's another thing to use it to in service of yourself and your gifts and what it is you want to bring to the world. Hmm. So thank, thanks for inviting me to speak to you. It's been lovely. Thank you. This was magical. I so appreciate you. Thank you for being here. Likewise. And now it's time for the Mindful Minute. Spend a week looking for stories in your everyday life. Write them down. Share them with the intention of forging a deeper connection with people you care about. See what happens. And finally, please enjoy this drum solo I lovingly composed for the Story Skills Workshop commencement. Thank you, Bernadette, for giving me the chance to share my musical voice. liked this episode, please share it with a friend. And are you interested in starting or maintaining a yoga practice at home? I teach yoga to wise women. I believe in empowering and educating wise women to thrive on their terms at every stage of life. Let's hear what a wise woman has to say. You're touching lives. You are much appreciated for that. What you do is more than teach a yoga class. To learn more, connect with me at yogimd.net. And finally, podcast theme music is by my niece, Maya Bishop, on vocals, my daughter, Lizzie Kelly, on guitar and bass, yours truly on percussion, and produced by Tim Buell. Thanks for being here. See you next time.